We'll go turn first <coughs> to First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. That's the, that's the chapter on love, chapter 13. Chapter 12 of First Corinthians is on spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is about the working of the spiritual gifts. Well, chapter 13 is on love. We call it, chapter 12 is the slice of bread, 14 is the slice of bread, but 13 is the filling. You don't have 13, then it's just plain bread. You have gifts, you have the working of the gifts, but without love, it means nothing. Okay, but we are not looking at that, but that one verse. Now, of these three remain, <coughs> faith, Hope and love, KJV will use the term charity, but the greatest of these is love. <coughs> Bible talks about these three, faith, hope and charity or love, and it says the greatest of these three is love. But again, uh, we are not looking at love today, we are looking at one of these three. <coughs> these three. Scriptures take, talks about ultimately faith, hope, and love, these three, will be tested. Will be tested. Everything that is precious is tested. So in the kingdom of God, these three are the most precious. Faith, hope, and love. Therefore, it has to be tested. Because everybody, everybody, any man, believer or unbeliever, even the unbelievers have faith in something, in somebody. When unbelievers have love, everybody has love, everybody has hope. But it is not the faith that originated in God, faith from God. It is not the hope that originates from God. It is not the love that is of God. Therefore, our faith, our hope, our love has to be tested so that we know that it is of God. That's the reason, because it is the only one, only what is of God will last, which is eternal. Because there is a human love, there is a godly love. There is a human faith, there is a faith that saved us. Grace through faith, that faith was a gift from God. And then there is hope, which again is from God. Okay, which Hebrews will talk about where we have to enter in the most holy place where our hope is anchored in God himself. That hope is from God. Okay, So humanly speaking, everybody has faith, hope and love. But then everybody's faith, hope and love is not of God. So to know the difference, all this has to be tested. That's why Hebrews talks about everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And what is left is the kingdom alone. So even in our lives, God will t shake us, test us, so that even our human love will fail. That's what Jesus talks about, that even if your mother, your mother who abandons you, the suckling baby abandons you, I will not. And we know from scripture and from history that the most powerful love the, love the mother has for her baby, even that has failed, where the mothers during famine have eaten their own children. Okay, so God says, you need to realize, you may think your love is great, but he says, you will not know that it is not really until it is tested. That when it is tested, you will realize this was your love and that love fails, but God's love never fails. A faith we have, but it fails and realize it was my faith and not God's faith. And then hope. These three don't work the same way. <coughs> faith, 
hope and love, they don't work the same way. So we have to see when we test it, how do we test it? If you go to First Thessalonians, chapter 1, First Thessalonians, chapter 1, and verse 3. Okay, somebody could get, I mean, if you have a, a different version, you could read it. One, somebody who's got a louder voice than mine. Yeah. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. We continually remember yeah. before our God and Father <coughs> your works produced by faith, the labor prompted by love, mm-hmm. and your endurance inspired by hope. Okay, so there it talks, endurance, patience, different words are yours. Faith has works. Love has labor. Hope has patience, endurance, long-suffering, different terms, which are perseverance, which are terms that I use. Okay, work of faith or works of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. That's why James will say, faith without works is dead. Faith has its own works. We have our own works, but faith has its own works. So the testing of faith is the work. Okay, the works. Does it tally according to the faith we profess? We profess our faith. Does the work tally with the faith? So we will see Abraham was considered righteous because his works tallied with the faith he professed. And it was perfected. He began a journey. His journey is perfected. His faith is perfected when he offers Isaac on the altar. His work and his faith tallies. The same way, love has labor. The labor here connected with love is not the same as the work that is connected with faith. This love is basically that labor is sacrifice. We all go to our offices and work. But the mother who also works for a baby, it is not work, it is labor because there is sacrifice involved in it. We don't sacrifice in our office, we work in our office. Some people of course sacrifice also in the office, but we work in our office. But with love, it is says labor, it is not work. And that labor basically means sacrifice. So in Hebrews 6 verse 10, God will say, I will not forget your labor of love. He's not saying, I will not forget your works. He says, I will not forget your labor of love. Okay. But when it comes to hope, First Thessalonians 3, uh, 1, 3 says, the patience, the endurance, the perseverance, the long-suffering, different terms, slightly different meanings, but ultimately they all come under patience. The hope or the patience that comes, your endurance, your patience, which is inspired or which comes because of our hope in Christ Jesus. Today, I want to look at patience. Okay, I want to look at patience. I'm not looking at love. I'm not looking at faith. But I want to look at patience. Like I said, four different words are used, connected, similar meanings, slightly different at times. One is patience. One is endurance. One is perseverance. One is long-suffering. The thing is that we... As believers often fail to see the importance of patience or endurance as scripture shows it, how important it is, how important endurance, patience it is. Just two verses I'll give you tonight. One is Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus is talking about, when they asked him the signs of the last days, how will the end come? What are the signs? And Jesus gives a whole lot of signs of, he will talk about, uh, 
deception and wars and earthquakes and famines and all kinds of calamities. And then he comes and says in verse 11 and 12, could you read verse 11 and 12? Yes. Matthew 24, verse 11 and 12. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many yeah. people. Mm. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Yeah, verse 13. <clears throat> but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay. Other versions, this NIV. Other versions, okay, they will use he who endures till the very end, who is patiently endures till the very end will be saved. So God says, all these things will happen. And one of the things is the love of many will be tested and it will grow cold. And the first thing which about love, which Corinthians 13 will talk about is love is patient. Okay, so when the love grows cold, we run out of patience, we run out of endurance. And God says, only those who endure till the end will be saved will be saved. Okay, so we have to think about it. We are saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And these are three different things. We are saved when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are being saved. That is, there is an end to salvation because Hebrews will say we can be saved to the uttermost. And then there is the salvation of this body, which is, we call it justification, sanctification and glorification. Okay, but when these things happen, that is when we will really realize, is my faith real? Is my love real? Is my hope real? And here it talks about our patience. Our endurance will be tested in these times. Can we really endure? Can we really endure? And in Paul will say that when the last days comes, people cannot endure sound doctrine. They cannot endure sound doctrine. So they will start getting teachers according to their itching ears because the doctrine becomes too difficult. And Jesus himself, you will see when the crowds follow him and when the doctrine starts getting tougher, they start leaving. They cannot endure. Even the disciples leave him because they said, this is too hard a teaching. They are not able to endure the teaching of the kingdom of God. Okay, so... Scripture talks about both sides. So here one scripture which talks about patience, which talks about endurance, okay? That is connected with hope. Patience is connected with hope. Then Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Twelve verses 1 and 2. <coughs> yes. Therefore we also... <coughs> Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've got an incredible cloud of witnesses. That's Hebrews 11. The witnesses who have gone before us. Those who overcame by faith in both ways. Some got their dead back. Some died for their faith. Some got because of their faith. Some lost everything because of their faith. I have to look at both sides. Okay, The Bible has both sides. Faith is not linear. By faith you don't always get. You also sometimes lose everything because of your faith. And Hebrews 11 talks about that. Those who got and they lost and both were commended for their faith. So there is this huge cloud of witnesses. God said, this is cloud of witnesses who have gone before you. Okay. Therefore, lay aside sin 
and wait. We are not looking at it. They're two different things. Therefore, run your race with endurance, with patience, with long-suffering, with perseverance. Run your race. We have to complete our race. The only way you can complete this race into which God has put us is if we have patience, if we have endurance. So in both places it is talking about, not about faith or about love, primarily it is talking about patience. We need to be patient. How we run this race, how we live our life out patiently, we have to run it out. Okay, let me go to the next one. Therefore, let us, sorry, let us turn to James. James will come right after Hebrews, James chapter 1, yeah, verse 2 to 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Not lacking anything. Okay? So, con consider it. KJV, NK, NIV will use the term pure joy. Okay, I had two pastors' conferences this week, so when I was using that words, they were translating in Telugu, it is Mahanandam. Meaning when good things happen in your life for believers, it is Anandam. But when terrible things happen in your life, it should be Mahanandam, pure joy, because it is the testing of your faith. We, of course, in the flesh look at it the other way. When good things happen, we are we rejoice when, when bad things happen, we get discouraged. But scripture says the other way. It says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you are, you, you are tested, when trials come into your life, when you are tested, because it is the testing of your faith. And when faith is tested, and if you continue, it produces patience. And patience, if it, you allow it to reach its completion in our lives, it says, you become perfect. You become perfect in the sense not perfect as God is in that not sinless state, but talking about spiritual maturity. You reach that stage where you lack nothing spiritually. You are able to judge all things. And God has put a way. There is no other way. This is the route to spiritual maturity. You cannot skirt it. There are no exits on that way. Exit, you will have to come back to that road again if you have to continue your journey. God has made a way. That's why he said the road is narrow. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few will find the way to life. Because that road, not only narrow, it is difficult outside of God. So here it says, consider it pure joy. Our faith is tested so that it develops patience. Our love is tested. It develops patience. We are all patient until we get married. And then suddenly we realize we need to raise our patience to another level. And then when we believe we are patient after marriage, we have children. Then we realize, especially when they are small, okay, it's a different kind of patience have to be developed. And then we think, okay, I got it through, then they become teenagers. Then we realize our patients have to be lifted to another level. You know, God has put it that way. There is no other way. Okay, patience. Okay, patience. So it is the testing of our faith. It is the testing of our, of our love. But above all, it is the testing of our hope. Patience is connected with hope. Patience is even more connected with hope than with love and with 
faith. Because where there is no hope, scripture says, the spirit dries. Spirit dries. Okay. And our hope has to be real. Real. Okay. We have hope in earthly things. That's a different hope. It is tangible. We expect something. But how real is our hope in spiritual things? How real it is. Okay. And God wants us to bring us to the point where we come to that maturity, which is the maturity of Christ. To bring each one to the maturity of Christ. Because patience is very difficult, especially in this age, because we live in this fast food, fast, fast, fast world, everything, everything. You know? I, when I tell examples in my church, I tell, my parents waited to retire before they bought their first fridge. Today, before you have a job, you have already bought a fridge on credit. Okay, I mean, nobody waits for anything now. Nobody waits. Okay, so it's very difficult in a world like that where God says, up top on my agenda is to make you a very patient, enduring, long-suffering, persevering servant of mine. But he says, that's my aim. It doesn't matter how fast the world is, my ways are different. This is what I'm looking in each of my children, that you need to be patient why is it so? Why is it patience so important? Unless we see it from God's perspective, which is revealed in scripture, we will not understand why is patience, patience so important in the kingdom of God. Turn with me to the next letter after James, which is Peter. Go to Second Peter and chapter 3 and verse 9. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What is God's primary goal? Let's look one more verse. If I'm right, that's verse 15. 3.15. Same chapter, 3.15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. We may have different objectives in life. Different objectives in life. God's primary objective with man is not his comfort. Is not his happiness. And is not in his prosperity. Though God is interested in all these things. He's interested in our comfort. He's interested in our happiness. He's interested in our prosperity. All, But that is not his primary concern. His primary Concern is our redemption, our salvation. Okay. Primary concern is our redemption, our salvation. And now, so that we understand that concept, just please turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 7 and verse 25. So that we understand that concept about salvation. But Jesus is the high priest, yes. Somebody? Therefore, Therefore he's able to save completely. He's able to save completely those who come to God hmm. through him. Through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. For okay, them. okay. Okay. Another version can somebody read so that we understand the meaning a little more fully? Therefore yeah. he is also able to save to the uttermost. Save to the uttermost. We are not saved to the uttermost. We are saved. That's why we are here. But we are not saved to the uttermost. We are being saved. 
But if we continuously come to him, to God through Jesus Christ, because he's forever making intercession for us, for what? Not for my comfort, though he's interested. Not in my happiness, he's interested. Not in my prosperity, he's interested. He's forever making intercession so that I be saved to the uttermost. That there is nothing of the flesh left in me. Everything that is in me is of him and of God and of the kingdom of God. That is his end. That is what he is interested in. Understand, this is what God is interested in each one. That everyone grows up to the maturity of Christ Jesus, which actually means we decrease, he increases and takes full control. That is his interest. Primary interest. The rest are all secondary. Okay, rest are all second to save us to the uttermost. So there is a day of salvation, there is a beginning of salvation, there is an end of salvation. Okay, like there is a beginning of faith and there is an end of faith. When in the Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia, Abraham heard the voice of God, leave your father, leave your father household, go to the land that I am showing you. When you took the first step, the journey began. But James will say the journey became perfect when years later, when he went up to Mount Moriah, put his son on the altar, tied him up and lifted the, the knife up. God said, his faith is perfected. He has kept back nothing from me. Okay, So there was a journey. There is an end. So salvation has a beginning and salvation has a logical end. Begins in Christ, ends in Christ. Begins with a little of Christ and much of us, if it reaches its logical conclusion, ends with nothing of us and all of him. So Paul is one man, uh, that Christ of course, who is given as an example. He says, for I no longer live. I no longer live. But Christ Jesus lives in me. He's one person who we see in scripture, witness, who has reached that logical conclusion. Therefore, he has an absolute confidence. I finished my race. And I see my crown. Where does this confidence come from? Because he has taken salvation to his logical end. Allowed it to work out in him. That's why God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we have one person. Okay, because Jesus is the savior. One saved person, Paul, as an example in the Bible, who reaches. But this is God's intention for everyone that we go through this route. So understand this. God's primary intention, interest in all of us is our redemption, our salvation. And that is what God wants to do. He is interceding for us before the Father daily that we can be saved to the uttermost. And connected with salvation, every other prayer request are filtered. Okay. Every prayer request we make to the Father is filtered in the lens of that. That is why 1 John 5.14, if I am right, this saying from memory, yeah, 14 and 15, 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have approaching God, that if he asks anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, absolute clear. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And what is his will? Our utter redemption. If my prayer request is connected with my redemption in God's sight, that prayer is according to his will, it's answered. Otherwise, God says, wait. It doesn't tally with my plan for you. It tallies with your plan for yourself. 
Okay, absolute confidence. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in Romans 8 when it comes to prayer. Scripture says, we ourselves do not know what to really pray for. But in our weakness, the Spirit of God prays through us with groans that cannot be uttered because the Spirit searches the heart of the Father and prays for us according to the will of God for us. That's why Paul says, I pray with understanding, but I pray in the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, you can be absolutely sure the Holy Spirit doesn't pray for our requests. He prays for God's will for each one of us. And it's always connected with our redemption, with our salvation to the uttermost. That's where patience comes. So God says, be patient. God is patient. And God is working out salvation. We will say, Lord, what is happening? Why is things not changing? God says, be patient. I am working on it. I am working on something which you will only see later. I have seen the end from the beginning. But you are said somewhere in the middle and you are looking. You are discouraged. You are depressed. You don't know what is happening. But I am working on your redemption. So understand patience. We are not talking about, like I said, a patience that of man, but we are talking of a patience that is of God. Bible talks that patience as the patience of Christ. We are not talking about everybody. A lot of people have naturally, they have some people are very, very patient because of upbringing, because of training. We are not talking, even that has its limits. But the patience of Christ has no limits because it is the very patience of God. The Bible calls it the patience of God. And we know from Galatians in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we know patience is given as one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is of the Spirit. It is not of my flesh. It is not of my soul. It is of God. That patience is what we are looking at. That is the patience that will endure when testing comes and things starts going from worse back to worse. And it will only get worse and worse. doesn't matter what government, what dispensation. Scripture cannot be rewritten. It's already written. It will only get worse and worse and worse. So James says, James has written a lot about it. If you come to the epistle of James chapter 5, <coughs> once again, we will see from verse 7. You got ch- chapter 5? Yeah, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers. Till when? Till the Lord's coming. Be patient, brothers, until the Lord's coming. You have to be patient till when? Nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody even knows when he is coming. Nobody's, everybody is reading signs, but nobody is sure. For 2000 years plus years, people have been waiting, but he hasn't come yet. And we have been asked to be patient till the Lord's coming. And then examples are giving. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You to be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And almost 2000 years have been over after this was written. The Lord's coming is still near. Okay? Still near. Peter will turn around and say, a thousand years is like a day for the Lord and a day like a thousand years. So you need to have the patience of God. If you need to wait for 2,000 for the Lord's coming, then you need to have the patience of God where 2,000 years is like two days. Okay, otherwise you will not survive, you will give in. Why? What happens? Scripture says, it tells us the reason. Don't grumble against each other, brother, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Impatience will bring grumbling, will bring discouragement, it will bring conflict. Now, any church in the world, 
doesn't matter what problems they are going through. If they know tomorrow the Lord is coming, everybody will be at peace. They want to make peace because they know the Lord is coming tomorrow. Okay, boy is coming tomorrow. Let's everybody is now in peace and unity and everything because the Lord is coming. But when the Lord delays, and you know what happens? People start murmuring, people start grumbling, and James says, "Be careful, no." The judge is at the door. You don't know when he is coming. You don't want to be caught while he is coming grumbling. Because that's not a good place to be reason. Bible talks about it. First Corinthians. If you turn to chapter 10, when Paul gives the examples from the history of Israel, he talks about different things. <coughs> okay. I'll just... Uh, uh, read from verse chapter 10. I'll read from verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Then, another thing. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and they killed by snakes. And then verse 10, do not grumble. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. That's what he's talking about. <coughs> be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient because you do not know the Lord. The judge is at the door because grumbling more we grumble, the more we lose our hope. And our eyes starts, we take our eyes off Christ and start looking at each other. We start look, losing patience with each other. While the Lord is very, very patient. Very, very, very patient. It leads to discouragement in the camp. In the camp. And <coughs> when the parable of the sower, which is the most well-known parable of parable of Jesus, the parable of the sower. He talks about the soil that brought, the good soil that ultimately brought the yield, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And one of the characteristics of the, that soil, it is, they heard the word, they received the word, and with patience, with patience, brought the yield. That it's not enough to hear the word. It is not enough to receive the word. It's more, even more important to patiently endure until the word we have heard bears fruit. Bears fruit. That's why I said it's, this is this. We, for us, this, this generation, us who are caught in all the, the, the amenities of life, I was preaching in another state to the pastors and I was telling them, the the even the poor man whom we would consider poor is much well off than the emperors of the past, because you talk about any emperor in history, Akbar or Alexander or any Caesar, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have automobiles. They didn't even have a cycle. They didn't have uh, fridges, fans, ACs, houses like this. Nothing. Nothing. When Aurangzeb and his soldiers came from Delhi to Hyderabad, I think it took them six months. Today, in four hours, you can go and come back. So we need to realize, we probably are the most privileged generation 
ever. And we got every gadget to make life easier and to save time. Yet, if you go into the core, also the most dissatisfied generation. Okay, so there is an issue over there. We cannot bring that into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God moves in God's time. In God's time. Jesus in another place will say, possess your souls in patience. Be patient. Be patient because God is patient with you. God is patient. Unless we patiently endure till the end and hold on to the word and allow the word in its own time to bear fruit without turning to the left or to the right, the fact is that we will not endure. We will give in to the, we will succumb to the pressure. We will give in to the pressure, we will compromise and we will give in like Lot did. Righteous man. But finally when the king came to the day of judgment, he lost everything. He made it through the fire. But he lost everything because he didn't have the patience to withstand the pressure of the world. And that's what Bible is talking about. So, three things we will learn and then I will stop. First thing we need to learn is trust God's timing. Because this is patience has got to do with timing. Trust, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. 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 Uh, and grow louder, okay, and slower. <coughs> we have to trust God's timing. Okay, the reason is we are in a hurry, and our language will always say that it says, "I am late." Right? I am late. Uh, I have to hurry. I have to catch up. These are all connected with time, because the thing is that we look at time. As working against us. That's how we see. We see time not working with us or for us. We see as time working against us. So we always feel we have to race. That's why we say I have no time. I have no time. I don't know when I will finish. These are statements we make in every language. But we need to realize time works for God. Time never works against God. Time was created by God, so time will never work against God. It will only work for God. God is not in time. He is outside of time. He created time first when he set the sun and the moon. You will see in Genesis, time begins. It is for us. But time works for God. Time works according to God's agenda and according to his plan and never according to our agenda and our plan. So time works for God. So as God's children, we need to realize, as God's children, we need to realize, time is not our enemy. Time is not our enemy. We have to learn how to walk with God, not go ahead or lag behind. We have to learn. And therefore, sometimes we don't understand, but we look at time, we realize, I don't understand the ways of God. Redemption is the primary purpose of God, but Jesus comes after 4,000 years of human history. 4,000 years of human history. 4,000 years people are dying and going to hell and God is not moving. Yet he's working in time. Yet not moving in the terms of coming in the flesh to become the sacrificial lamb of God to save. He's not moving. So God says, I am patient. When we say, what does it mean? He didn't move for 4,000 years. 
And then when he comes finally, for 30 years we don't see him. We don't see him. Why these things are important? Because it teaches us what patience means. God is working according to his timeline, according to his plan, according to his agenda. There is nothing we can do about it. And his ways are perfect. His ways are perfect. Okay. So that's where patience comes. And Jesus always will resist pressure from people to push him outside Father's time. The first time we see him, he steps out into the public arena. He's at the wedding of Kana, and his mother comes and tells they have run out of wine. His first statement is, my time has not come. He says, I'm working on a timeline. I'm working on a timeline. My time has not come. You're trying to push me, push my timeline according to your need, according to your human need and human understanding, but I'm moving according to my father's timeline. My time has not come. Okay. Then when he steps into ministry and is starting to become public, his brothers come and says, what are you doing here? If you want to be known, you need to go to Jerusalem. And he told them, I want to read that in John chapter 7 and verse 6. Gospel according to John chapter 7 and verse 6. Yeah, 7, 6. Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. He says, you know, we want to go public. He doesn't want to go public. He says, no. For you, any time is right. That's why we are always on Facebook. No. <laughs> he says, no. My time has not come. No, my time has not come. He says, for you, any time. Because you don't understand God's timing. You don't understand how God works in time. You do not have the patience of God. God works everything according to his time. He has seen the end from the beginning. He says, your time is always, but not mine. But finally, if you read at the end of his life, in John chapter 17 and verse 1, you know what he says? Yeah, somebody. <coughs> John 17, verse 1. Spoke these words, lifted up his thighs to heaven, oh. and said, Father, the hour has come. The time, the hour has come. The hour has come. Now glorify your son. The end, he looks up and he says, Father, the time has come. The hour has He's moving in his father's time. Absolutely. There is a work interested. There is a time interested. And he's doing it only according to God's timing, God's work. He's never behind. He's never early. On. And on the cross... He will say, time has come, it is finished. It is finished. You cannot rush God. You cannot. God has his timing. That's why we need the patience of God because his primary purpose is redemption. I like, uh, uh, how many are from Kerala here? Like, oh, quite a few okay, from Kerala here. There's a Malayali pastor, long time I've heard him, and they've come up with this humorous illustrations. He says, you see, in Kerala we have what is called limited uh, stop buses, okay? He says, but um, it's limited stop, but uh, if you're standing on the road and it is empty, if you show your hand, they will stop. But once you get in, the conductor will say, from the previous stop, I will charge you. 
consequences. Here's a problem, Mr. Buxus MP, you show your hand, you get in. Once you have got in, if another fellow shows his hand over there and he gets in, you start shouting and asking, is it this not a limited stop? <laughs> so when you got in, it didn't matter, it was limited stop. But now that you have gotten, you wanted to go to this destination without stopping. He says, this is the problem with believers. Once they get into the kingdom, they want Jesus to come. They are not worried about the other passengers who have to get in. Okay. He says, this is our problem. God is working on a timeline trying to get as many people as into the kingdom. Where you will see different parables when Jesus will finally say, there's still seats empty. Go to the by streets, pick everyone, the blind, the men, get them in. There is space in my father's kingdom. Compel them to come into the kingdom of God. That is God. That's what Peter is talking about. That's Paul talking about. And that's what Peter will say, the patience of God during Noah's time. The ark is being built and theologian says 120 years to build the ark. For what? So that as many would hear the message, maybe repent and get it. The fact that nobody got in did not change the patience of God. Didn't God know only eight would get in? The first eight would be the last eight and nobody else would get in yet. But that doesn't change his heart. He's still patient. In some of the meetings, the illustration, I say that sometimes poor Noah would have fixed one side and in the morning he comes, all the planks are down. God has sent some angel to put it down because he doesn't want him to finish it fast. Because he wants to give people as much time as possible, hoping somebody will turn and get it because he is looking from the heart of a father. He's not looking from the heart of a judge. So in Micah, God will say, God delights in mercy. Delights in mercy. And in another portion he will say, judgment has a strange thing for God. God knows he has to judge, but doesn't love it. He delights in mercy. But ultimately a day is set. And judgment has to come. But he doesn't delight in it. Because in Genesis 6, scripture says, God's heart was grieved. Heart is grieving. He knows because of his holiness he has to judge. His heart is grieved that man has gone away into sin. So he knows ultimately he has to judge. Even their judgment is being postponed. Okay, build an ark. Build a big one. As big as I can tell you. Begin. So that, let's see, there's enough space for everybody who believes. But nobody got in is another matter. But the fact is God is patient. And is working according to his time. And his time is connected with Redemption. So Jesus, remember, we need to be patient because we need to realize it is the work of redemption God is doing. Basically, we are very patient with ourselves, but very impatient with others. Very impatient with others. God says, I know you are very patient with yourself. You look at a mirror and forgive yourself every day. (laughs) But, he says, you need to be Patient with others because as your father is patient. He's patient. Okay? That's second thing. We get upset. We get upset because we want God to work according to our agenda and our time. We get upset. But God works in our lives according to his plan and his time. The reason we get upset, because our plan and God's plan 
usually are very divergent, very different. So we put comfort, we put prosperity, we put success, we put all these things at the top. God puts all that at the bottom. Okay. It's all important for him, but he says put it all at the bottom. Your redemption is important for me. Okay. Because your redemption is connected with not just for saving you, but building the character of Christ in you. That's his primary purpose. I have to build my son's character in me. That is my primary purpose post-salvation. Why? Because your destiny is this. You should rule. But characterless people cannot rule. That's the mayhem we see around the world because leaders have risen who have no character. Okay. But God's kingdom won't be like that. God's kingdom is going to be ruled only by people who have understood and received and allowed the character of Christ to be formed. So God is not putting my happiness on the top. He's putting my character on the top. God is not looking at my prosperity at the top. He's putting my character at the top. Everything, not at my ease, come my comfort, but my character at the top. That is our issue. Okay. So God is working according to his time. And we get upset because God doesn't work according to our time. The simple thing. Martha, Mary, Lazarus is ill. They sent word. Jesus, come, the one whom you love is sick. He didn't go. Four days later, after he's buried, he goes. What does Martha say? If you were here, my brother, indirectly she's saying, why are you late? Why are you late? Okay. Thus we also say, why are you late? Okay, we'll say GPS went wrong. Jesus had no problem with GPS. <laughs> okay. GPS for him is God's positional satellite. Okay. That never goes wrong. Okay. But he's asking, why are you late? If you had come on time, my brother would have been saved. Would have been leaving. Now the question is, Jesus is not late. He's on time. Is exactly on time. Even we preachers, when we preach, we'll say Jesus reached four days late. No, he didn't. He reached exactly on time. He was working according to his father's timeline, according to his father's purpose and agenda. Now let us say, turn it around and let us make Jesus turn it around to Martha and Mary's time and Martha and Mary's agenda. Let us say he changed. He got word. Lazarus is ill. He rushed, came prayed over Lazarus, he got up and he walked. Okay. It may not have been even mentioned in the Bible because most of his healings are not mentioned. Instead, he was in working his father's purpose, father's agenda, father's time. He came right on time and they saw a resurrection. Okay. That's the difference. If God were to work on our timeline, we will get a healing. When God works on his timeline and his agenda, we get a resurrection. And he's interested in not in a healing. He's interested in a resurrection. He's not trying to do a makeup on the old man. He's creating a new life. Absolutely new. That is from heaven. That is where we have to understand. When we are usually telling God, we are actually telling him to patch up the old man. And God is not interested. He's not interested in the old man. Until we come like Paul came. It's very difficult. I know how many times Paul had to say that before he himself believed it. He says in Romans 4.14, 7.14, There is nothing good in me. Nothing good in me. In my flesh, nothing good. I mean, even when we say it, how many of us can really believe it? 
Because we really believe there's a lot of good in us. But this is the first man. Before God could reach him to that maturity, he had to first reach the point where he was able to really say and believe, you know what? There's absolutely nothing good in me. Nothing good. Now imagine a church full of 100 people, 150 people, where everyone believes there is nothing good in me. There would be peace and unity. Our conflicts arise because we believe there is good in me. And you are not pointing out my good. You are not appreciating my good. But God says there is nothing good in you. Absolutely nothing good in you. And we struggle with that. That is the truth. That is the end of our struggles if we can reach there. There is absolutely nothing good in me. And therefore, Lord, I need you. Who can save me from this wretched body? Who can save me? That is the work of salvation which God is doing. Because we are still like Martha trying to heal the old body, the old nature, feed the old nature, prop up the old nature and complain, Lord, why, why Lord, why, why are you late? If you had come on time, if you had answered my prayer, when we had sent word to you, all this, God says, no, that's not my purpose, that's not my timeline, I'm interested in that. Resurrection. I'm not interested in a healing. I'm not interested in the old man at all. Now, just in the light of it, look back and see this week. How many of our prayers were connected with the new man, which is of Christ, and the old man whom God hates? About the old man whom God says, there is nothing good in you. How many of our prayers were actually connected with the old man? How many of our prayers are connected with the new man which has been born in the very image of God? And we'll suddenly realize most of my prayers was actually connected with the old man. And God says, you know what? So that is where the issue comes. I'm not interested in your old man. I am interested in your new man. Third thing. So while we wait patiently, now that we have heard about patience, small message on patience, while we wait patiently, okay, for perfection to come, God says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. While we wait patiently, make use of the time. That time is not to be wasted. That time is preparation. This time while we wait is the preparation of the new man. That's what we see in scripture. Okay. We will think, oh Lord, 4,000 years, what were you doing? Then you came and 30 years, what were you doing? <coughs> Jesus answers the question in John chapter 5 and verse 17. He says something there which is interesting to the Pharisees. 17. 5.17 My father is always at work to this day and I too am working. And we look at Genesis chapter 1 and say God is resting. God says no, I am not resting, I am working. The work of creation was over, but I am on the work of redemption. And I will never stop that work. God doesn't take a break. He says, my father is working till today. Even now, he's working. 
And Jesus says, I too am working. So what is the work the Father is doing? It is the work of redemption. Scripture says Jesus is forever making intercession for the saints. He's working. The Father is working. The Son is working. So even as they wait patiently for the end, they have set the time, they are working. And even as we wait patiently for the end, we need to be working along with them. In their time frame and in their agenda. That's what God is doing. Because that is what we see through scripture, what God is doing. Joseph, at 17, is destined to rule. He thought, when he got the dreams, next week something is going to happen. Something happened, but not what he imagined. Okay, So he sees his destiny at 17. He fulfills his destiny only at 30. In those 13 years, God is working character in him. Before he can reign. That's why he has to be sold as a slave. That is why he has to be taken in chains. KJV will use this term until the iron entered his soul. So that the word of God that was spoken over him tested him until it was proved right. Yes, you are called to reign. Now prove you are worthy to reign. Prove that you are worthy to be reigned. Years as a slave, years as a prisoner, his character has to be molded in the character of Christ. Then God releases him and says, you are ready to rule. Patience is being worked in him. Yet his hope is real. Why? Because he knows. It is God who spoke and patiently he is waiting. So you will see there is faith, there is love, there is hope. There is hope. He never gives up hope. And his hope is real. In the midst of calamities, his hope is real. Moses, at the age of 40, yes, he was called to lead Israel. And immediately in his impatience, took his sword and tried to deliver Israel. And God says, you are not ready to lead. You are called to lead Israel. You are supposed to be like a king over Israel. You lead my people. But you are not ready to rule because there is no patience in you. There is no character in you. So I'm going to put you in the backside of the desert for the next 40 years and you will have nothing. You will live off your father-in-law. I will make you a very patient man. Very patient man. He has to be patient. He has to have the patience of God to be able to lead this rebellious set of people for 40 years and losing his temper only once. Incredibly patient man. That's the patience of God. It has to be worked in him before he can actually rule over Israel or lead Israel. Same story with David. David was destined to be king the day Samuel came to Jesse's house. But he cannot rule until character is framed in him for the next 10 or 11 or 12 years. We don't know how many years. He's running and running and running and running yet not raising his hands against his oppressor. Patience is being worked in him. And he's a patient man. He's a very kind merciful patient man. He becomes that man. That's why when he is king and everything is, Jerusalem is his capital, the ark has been brought, everything, the first thing he asks is, is there anybody from my enemy's household, King Saul, left to whom I can show mercy? Anybody? He doesn't search for his friends first, whom he can give awards. He says, anybody from King Saul's household to whom I can show mercy for Jonathan's sake. His first act, once he is king of all of Israel, is an act of, he's such a Patient man. Patient man. 
has become. And that's what God is asking and telling us, this is what I'm doing with all of you. You need to, and otherwise you will read your situations wrongly and you will fight it. You will fight it and you will give up hope. Joseph could have given up hope in Egypt and says, where is my father? I mean, he said he loved me and gave me this coat and all. He has never even inquired, am I really dead? He never sent anybody looking for me. And these are my brothers who did it. And when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him, he could have made every excuse under the sky and says, why? Yes, nobody bothers about me. Nobody cares for me. And at least this lady is the only one I don't have. If I take her, I've got everything in this house. He didn't rationalize that way. His hope was very real. His faith was very real. In the midst of that calamity, his hope was very real. No, he said, I will not do this. Because there's, there's eyes of a God that are watching over me. My hope is very real. My faith is very real. My love for my God is very real. That's what God is talking about. Then falsely accused and he's thrown into the dungeon for years a prisoner. Then he interprets the dream for the butler and the cupbearer and he must be told the cupbearer when you go to the pharaoh you will be free. Remember me. He forgets him for two years. God says, you're not ready yet Joseph. You need to be a little more patient. Two more years in the prison. I know. I have my plans. In my timeline you will be prince of Egypt. Nobody will be above you other than the Pharaoh. You are destined to reign, but you are not ready yet. Two more years until you are really patient. And we know when he comes out, he's an incredibly patient man because there is nothing written in scripture once he becomes king. He says, bring Potiphar here. Bring his wife here. I need to deal with them. Nothing. Absolutely. Even when his brothers come over, he's got all the power of life and death over them. He says, no, fill their sacks with gold and send them back. I need to bring them to redemption. I am not interested in harming them. I am interested in their redemption. I am not even interested in a fake love. I can say, oh, I am here. Okay, I forgive you, brothers. Go back. No. I am interested in their redemption. I cannot even show a fake love. My love for them is real. Until they have been brought to conviction and repentance, then the purpose is lost. I am sent here as their savior. I will see they are saved. Until they come to the repentance, one day comes to the repentance, then he shows himself and says, this is who I am. I am Jesus. So redemption is the primary purpose of God. And that's what we see over there with all of them. We will see they were being taught to be patient so that they would reign. All of them. So today, as I close, let us come to a couple of portions. Romans chapter 8. And verse 17, we use Old Testament illustrations, but New Testament text. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. Now if we are children, yes, we are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Only if we share in his sufferings, then only we can share in his glory. And suffering cannot be preached in most churches, people run away. But scripture is very clear, unless we share in his sufferings, we do not share in his glory. Why? Because that suffering is what James is talking about, is the one which brings character. Character is forged in the fire. It is never comes during easy times. Joseph had ten brothers. They had no character. Joseph's character was forged in the fire. You want to escape trials and testings and tribulation. That's what Jesus said. You will have tribulation in this world. You will have. Because that's the only way I can bring you through. 
And that's the only way your character can be formed. Let's look at another portion, James chapter 5, connected with that. James chapter 5. Sorry, sorry, James, sorry. Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the first verse, which is talking about our past. We have peace with God. Concerning our past, we've been justified. We have peace with God. First thing, we need peace for our past. Then it comes to verse 2. It says, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. If I have peace for my past, I have grace for today. I need to have peace with God for yesterday to able to receive grace for today. People do not have grace for today when they do not have peace for yesterday. That's God's order always in the Bible. Peace for yesterday so I can have grace for today. And His grace is sufficient for us. And then, if I have peace for my yesterday and grace for my today, then scripture says, then we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Then when I look into my tomorrow, what do I have? I have hope of the glory of God. My hope is real. Yes, my hope is real. But how does it come? Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Again, Paul also comes back to the same thing. Rejoice in your sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, patience, endurance, long-suffering. Suffering produces perseverance or patience. Patience produces what? Character. And character produces hope. That is the hope that is real. A hope that does not come through this process is not real. It's not real. A hope that has come through this process is absolutely real. Because you know his, your hope does not rest on any of anything of man. It is a hope that is resting on God. Why? And verse 5, that hope and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he has given. Love is patient and this hope also is patient. That hope is real. That hope is real. That is the hope which God wants to give everybody. That is the hope that Paul has, where he's able to say at the end of his life, okay, when he's writing Corinthians, he's not sure. When writing Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he will say, if I run aimlessly, if I don't bring my body to subjection, then after having preached, I myself will be disqualified. When he's writing Philippians, he's much years, much many, many years later, he's still writing, forgetting all, I'm still pressing. Still. By the time he writes Timothy, he says, I have finished my race. I finished it. I finished my race. I said, I have fought this good, good fight of faith. I have kept the faith. And he says, I see my crown. It's no longer a hope. The hope has become reality because character has been formed. He says, I know. I've done it. And I know my hope is real. I see my crown. That's what he is talking about. That's what God is talking about. You know, if you come to Revelation, you have to tell me when I have to stop, okay? Because, yeah, in the five minutes? Okay, okay, my wife says five minutes. If you come to Revelation chapter one, only one apostle is left. All the others are dead. Only one is left. He's been exiled by the emperor to a old, rocky little island called Patamos. He's all alone. They are probably no believers. Listen to what he says in verse 9. 
Can somebody read Revelation 1 verse 9? I, John, your brother, yes. Companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. No longer has John a patience of himself. Remember, he was a short-tempered man. He was called the son of thunder. These are the guys who wanted to bring fire down and kill those who didn't accept the word. Okay, remember, these guys are the guys. They were very short-tempered. All of them were short-tempered guys. Now he is saying the patience of Christ in suffering, in tribulation and the kingdom. <coughs> Patient. Of Christ. It's not his patience, the patience of Christ. Old man. He's in his 80s when he's writing this. Okay, and he says, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Patient. Now think about it. Typically think about it. We are caught in a situation like that. We are exiled and all alone. Would we have that patience to endure still loving God, still worshipping God? Would we? The next word says that. He says, it was the Lord's day. It was the Lord's day. The next, that day, it's the Lord's day. And he says, I was in the spirit worshipping. Patiently enduring it all. No release. Nothing. But it's still, today is Sunday. I need to worship. I don't have a worship team. I don't have a congregation to preach to. That doesn't make any difference. I shall worship the Lord. Patient, endurance, genuine worship. And scripture says, while he was worshiping, I heard a voice louder than a trumpet. John, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Take a book and start writing all that I'm going to show you. He thought his ministry was over. His ministry is actually beginning. His greatest big ministry is beginning because he patiently endured. His patience of Christ had become his portion. Therefore, God is able to use him for his greatest ministry, which we are still tying and breaking our heads on because we still cannot understand what he wrote. The book of Revelation. That's what God is talking about. And if you study the book of Revelation, God says, and we need to realize because we are living in the time of the book of Revelation, what he wrote, we are living. God says, be careful, things will get worse and worse and worse. And chapter 13, he says, verse 9, he who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone goes into captivity, into captivity, he will go. I'm not going to change it. If anyone is going to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. And what does it say after that? This calls chapter 13, Revelation 10. 13 and verse... Yes. This calls for the patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. If you go to captivity, you will give up. 21 years in the Chinese prison, Watchman Nee, his greatest books came from there. And he died in the prison. 13 years in the prison, Richard Wombrun came stronger than he went in. Will we lose? Do we have the patient endurance of the saints? North Korea even today. All places, all these places, even in this place, there are people lying. If they are of this community, if they are accepted, they go. They either disappear, they go. Do we have the patience, endurance of the saints? That's what it says. It will. God says, I want this in you. Because I'm working on my timeline. I'm working on your timeline. 
If you read Revelation again, you will see in Revelation chapter 6, there are people in heaven crying out, the souls of the dead. Okay, verse 9. When the, he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were killed were to be killed and they had been completed. They are saying, Lord, how long should we wait? He said, wait. Give them all a robe, wear your robe and sit down there quietly. I have a lot of people to come in here you wait. He says, I'm patient. You want your crown and all. He says, I got other people who have to die and come in. And not just die a natural death, others also will be killed by you and enter. And I'm patient, I'm waiting. My plan is redemption. My plan is redemption. And we need to ask, do we have that patience? Do we have that patience? And ask God. This is the patience of Christ. That's what John is talking about. And God is putting us like Nebuchadnezzar will do. He will start on turning the heat in our lives. So that patience can be produced in us, that we will endure till the end. Either our end or his coming, one of these two. Holding on to our faith, growing in the character of Christ. Otherwise, it will not work. We will be like the first king of Israel who was disqualified. Two years in the throne, one victory, scripture says you blew his trumpet. Oh, come and say, tell all the young pastors, that's a problem with you. Two years into ministry, you blow your trumpet before you know the whole city is full of your posters. Oh, come to my meetings. That's what solved it. Before you knew, every Philistine arose and came and all his soldiers started going. Now he's panicking. Now he calls Samuel, Samuel, come and intercede, help me. I said, that's what you guys also do. You call up an older pastor and say, what did I do wrong? He said, you put all your posters, that's why they are stoning your church now. You are like salt, blowing your trumpet before you are ready. Let God blow your trumpet. Why are you blowing your own trumpet? Same thing happens, Saul. And Samuel didn't come. One day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days. By seventh day, he's starting to panic. And what did he do? He took Samuel's position and started offering a sacrifice. As soon as he finished, Samuel came. Why? Samuel said, you have disobeyed the Lord. This was not your job. Because he was impatient, God said, I take your kingdom away from you. That's how he lost the kingdom. His first step of obedience was because he was not patient to wait for God to come and intervene. He took things into his own hands. That's what we do. We don't wait for God. We take things into our own hands and God says, you lose. I have my time for everything. I have my ways for everything. Know my ways, know my time, let me work patience into you. So that when the times get difficult and more difficult and difficult, you will know you have a hope that is real. A hope that was birthed because you knew me. A hope because, as Hebrew says, you when entered in the most holy of holies and you anchored your hope in Christ himself. That is the patience of Christ. That is to what God is calling us, all of us, all of us. So be patient. But like I said in the beginning, we don't have it. We need to ask for the patience of Christ. That's why we have to decrease and allow him to take his patience. He's absolutely patient. Amen?
shall we pray? Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for each brother, each sister, each family, each household that is here, Lord. Commit them into thy hands. Help us, Father. Teach us, Father, to walk with you. To walk in your pace, not to lag behind, not to hurry, but to stay close to you, Lord. The days ahead, as your word has prophesied, will only get darker. But our strength comes from knowing you. Our strength and assurance comes because we have a living hope. Because our Savior promised you would never leave us, nor forsake us. That you would be with us till the very end, O oh Lord. I pray, Father, that there would be an opening of eyes, spiritual eyes. That even in this place, we would be able to see the spiritual darkness that covers. Behind all this glitter and lights, the spiritual darkness that is covering the earth. The confusion that is in the hearts and minds of people. There is only one light. One true light. It's you, Lord. Open our eyes, God. Increase our vision, God, that we might see you clearer and better each day. Even this night as we prepare for service tomorrow, let our heart be stayed on you. Our mind, our thoughts be stayed on you. Help us, Lord, help us. Meet each brother, each sister here, their point of need. Let them, us, let us know that you have a better plan than our best plan. More than healing, a resurrection awaits us if we believe. A new life, a new hope, a new future, sealed in the power of your Spirit. Help us to see it, Lord. Thank you, Father. You brought us here safely, each one of us. We know you will reach us also home safely, Lord. If you tarry to come tonight and you give us another day, help us to be in your house to worship you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.